forget to cut as I go. The second explanation is that if you remember, I did a series of lectures here last fall uh, on becoming human. That was based loosely on a book by John Macquarie, one of the great contemporary Anglican theologians, uh, in his book, Search for Humanity. And a new book uh, recently published lists Macquarie along with uh, Paul Tillich as probably having most influence on Anglican theology of any contemporary uh, theologian. Well, in this lecture, there is a quotation, a rather long quotation, from Macquarie. Macquarie is one of my heroes. He is the retired Lady Margaret Professor of Theology at Oxford. Uh, the dean of the seminary picked me up, took me to dinner, and was escorting me into the lecture hall at the Harvey Lectures in February. And he said, oh, by the way, did you know that we have Dr. Macquarie here as a visiting professor? <laughs> I said, no, uh, did you realize that uh, I'm quoting him at some length, <laughs> much of which uh, is under quotation marks. <laughs> you remember the difference between plagiarism and scholarship is Scholarship is taken from many sources. Pleasurism is taken from one source. <laughs> I was pleased that uh, the quotation that I had from Macquarie, I did give him credit. <laughs> a little anxious about you standing up in the back, particularly those of you carrying babies and so forth. <laughs> uh, you could sit on the floor, I think. <laughs> If you have a seat next to you, would you hold up your hand so people can, can find seats? Good, there are seats where hands are. <laughs> Following this lecture, Dr. Macquarie, and as I was quoting him and fashioning this uh, theology, uh, Dr. Macquarie came up to me afterwards, and he was sitting right in front of me during the whole lecture. Now, by the way, that quotation was in the first lecture that I won't give today. Uh, he walked up to me afterwards and said, Dean, I can find very little with which I would disagree. <laughs> two thoughts. One was, I didn't realize you would have come uh, to find things with which you could disagree, <laughs> which is what theologians generally do. And what I said to him was, my second thought in that was, I know there must be a compliment in there somewhere. <laughs> the title of this lecture, which assumes two kinds of priesthood, one is the baptized priesthood, which is the priesthood into which we are all called at baptism. And the second is the ordained priesthood. They are not competitive, they are compatible, but they are distinguishable. And so the first lecture was on the priest is human, assuming that every person who's baptized is a priest in the priesthood of all believers. And that we are all called as a primary vocation, though not exclusive vocation, to become human beings. That's the primary vocation of any Christian, is to become a human being. We were not created to be anything else 
we were created to be other things, but our primary vocation is to become a human being. The second lecture is the priest as shaman, and that assumes both a vocation for the baptized priest and the ordained priest. The third lecture, which is on priests as sacrament, is for the ordained priesthood only. And so you will hear references here, you know, kind of the discordant sound of baptized priests. The last qualification before I begin is that, that the question on the word shaman, S-H-A-M-A-N, sometimes pronounced shaman, shaman or shaman. Uh, before I began the lecture, I wrote uh, through cablegram to the utmost northern uh, province of Alaska where the last remaining North American shaman lived and asked what is the correct pronunciation of shaman. Is it shaman or is it shaman? The word came back to me by drumming a feather. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> this lecture began last summer in Northport, Michigan, when I was sitting on my porch listening to a tape by Joseph Campbell entitled uh, The Priesthood and Shaman, in which he stated the difference between the shaman and the priest is that the shaman experiences and the priest represents. It is this issue I hope to address. The priest's primary vocation is to respond to a call and claim to become a human being. This is the holy vocation, the most holy vocation, to seek meaning, to find purpose, and to enter a place of belonging. This is the human task. In the human journey, there are limits and boundaries, great crises, which are turning points that create transitions that we pray will be transformations. The baptized priest has a responsibility to experience all of the increments and all of the ingredients in the human journey. The ordained priest, the priest as sacrament, represents these transitions. I believe it is the vocational responsibility of the priestess person to approach life as a shaman. The person of the Genesis and Jordan water cannot become human or priest without a conscious commitment to experience all of life, all of life, all of life, and its boundaries and limits. There is for each person, as a priest of the baptismal covenant, a responsibility to enter the hieratic moments where the sacred breaks open the profane. If hieratic is a new word for you, it's the word from which we get hierarchy. And we're all called into the hieratic moments, and that's where history is broken open and eternity enters into history. The shamanistic principle is a call into the experiences where the bubble of history is broken by a mystery of another source which reveals itself in history. It's what Lauren Isley would call the extraordinary and the ordinary. It's what Annie Dillard calls going into the gaps, and that's what I call the miraculous in the mundane. It's the instant of Easter in history. Now, the definitive work on shamanism was done by Marcia Eliade. He was the century's great 
pioneer in the phenomenology of religion. Now my thesis does not rest on the need of the priest of the Easter people to become a shaman. This is not the Christian vocation. My desire is for the Christian invocation to know something of the shamanistic principle, something of the shamanistic tradition, in order to integrate the principle of experience into the journey toward holiness. The shaman represents a kind of collective image of a cosmology whereby through dreams, myths, rituals, and symbols, a situation is revealed which is human, yet not totally historical. Eliade writes that the shaman is separated from the rest of the community by the intensity of a religious experience. The shaman is the great specialist of the human soul. He alone sees it, or he knows its form and destiny. The place of the shaman is where there is immediate question of sickness, and the shaman always equates sickness with loss of soul. The place of the shaman is where there is, there is a question of sickness, where there is a question of death or a question of misfortune, and there the shaman is called. Now, the point of what it is that the shaman is called to do is to go find the lost soul. Anytime there is a sickness, the shaman is called because he equates sickness with the loss of soul, and the job of the shaman is to go find the lost soul, wherever it may be, in the lower world or in the upper reaches. The shaman is called to go and seek the soul of the one who's sick. Now, the shaman has existed in every culture. The shaman experience, though, is, though it's found in every culture, it has a very specific nature that is applicable to this current generation in any culture. That is the element of experience. Now the shaman begins his life, his true life as a shaman, by an immediate separation from his culture or from his family. It's usually called a spiritual crisis of one kind or another. It's not lacking in either greatness or in beauty, but it is traumatic. Now, the shaman's existence in this culture has been eradicated or diluted by age of reason. There remains, though, a remnant of the shamanistic character that I believe to be essential to the Christian vocation as priest, be it baptized or ordained. This is the element of experience, the shamanistic commitment is to being the one in community, the one person in community who is willing to go into another sickness. The shamanistic commitment is to be the one in community that consciously journeys into death, the journeys into misfortune, journeys into transition of one phase of existence to another. Now, the word crisis means turning the shaman is the one in the community who has the intuition or awareness to see that somebody is in crisis and know that that crisis is not something to fear, but something to enter to make the transition become a transformation. That's the shamanistic principle. The 
further explanation for every baptized hieratic person is that each enter not only the crisis of another, but that each enter his own sickness or crisis or death with a full vocational commitment to experience all of the life consciously and become a witness to the transformation through some religious resource. We priests, that is, all of us who are baptized and ordained, we priests receive an initiatory rite, which is death and resurrection. Everyone who makes a Christian journey receives a rite of passage into a world within and yet beyond history. The water death and the cleansing ritual of baptism is by inheritance in community and by grace we are adopted. The call is an election into a life of experiences where sickness and death are the norm. I don't know why any Christian would ever be disillusioned because we give no illusions. Sickness and death are normative in human journey. There is no place to go to avoid them, and God forbid that we should create a religion that lies to us about the reality of sickness and death. Shamanism is a great tradition to put on as a vocation to recognize sickness and death as the common human increments of the human journey. And so why should we ever say, why would this happen to me? What are we talking about, life? <coughs> the shaman knows that these are the rules of existence, and he is not afraid to enter them as a part of normative behavior. And why is it so much of contemporary American culture denies death and acts as if sickness was somebody else's fault. The shaman knows that sickness and death are part of the human journey. There has always been a religious posture that seeks to order life by withdrawing from it. Thus, this religious posture seeks to create a world apart from experience. My use of shamanism is only to exemplify a religious posture which I believe to be essential in Christianity, that seeks to discover the kingdom of God not elsewhere, but within the human journey. I believe that's what Jesus taught. The religion that denies or escapes from experience is not an incarnational religion. The religion that denies or escapes from experience, I don't believe, is Christianity. Christianity is in an apostolic tradition of wanting to touch, to see, to feel the cross. This is what Thomas was after. Thomas wanted to touch the scarred cross because Christ went through sickness, crisis, transition, and transformation. He went through death in order to be transformed into a new life. And the tradition of Christianity is wanting to see and touch and feel to experience the wounds of Christ. This is what Thomas did. He didn't doubt that his brothers had seen the risen Christ. What he doubted was that we worship the wounded God, and we do. Now, the shaman equates sickness with just the loss of soul, which is the center of the psyche. The shaman's job was to go find the soul, no matter where it led, and the task was twofold. First, to enter an ecstatic state through dance, ritual, symbol, or drugs 
so that he might leave his body to go search for the lost soul. The body, that is the body of the shaman, would remain in place in order that he would have a place to which he could return. So the shaman would then gather the shamanistic symbols. I want you to listen to how primitive this is. The shaman would get his symbols for the journey. Drum, feather, stick, mask, vestments, books, personal symbols. And these were to protect the shaman as he journeyed into the dangers of the other world. He would prepare himself with his white coat and stethoscope his prayer book, his Eucharistic vestment in order to go where the lost soul was. In surgical gown, he prepared himself to become the healer. With his symbols for strength, the shaman could then journey to hell and back if necessary to receive, the, to retrieve the sick soul. There's another view of this vocation, which is in Urban Holmes' book, Spirituality for Ministry. He calls the priest a follower of Hermes. If you remember from your mythology, Hermes is the interpreter of the gods and travels as intermediary between spiritual reality and earth or history. In his book, ministry and imagination, Holmes speaks of the priestly vocation as being a mana person, M-A-N-A. -A. He writes, I first heard the term mana person in a tape speaking of the role of the priest in the life of little children. The claim was that the priest must be a mana person, M-A-N-A, -A, <coughs> to the family of the young. What I heard him saying originally was M-A-N-N-A -N -N -A person, as the manna that God gave to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. It wasn't until I read Jung that it occurred to me that the term refers to M-A-N-A, -A, the extraordinary supernatural power which religions, particularly primitive religions, attribute to persons and things that are related to the divine. The manna person is related symbolically, symbolically to the hero, the chief, the magician, the medicine man, the saint, the ruler of the spirits, the friend of God, the shaman. He's the one who travels into chaos and returns to tell of it. Both the baptized and ordained have a responsibility to experience life's boundaries. Sometimes the only way to know something is to travel to its opposite. Perhaps at times the only way to know a boundary is to cross it. The only way to understand grace is to break God's law. Sickness, death, and misfortune are boundary times. The Christian vocation is to be a boundary hunter. The one who pushes to the utmost reaches his own capabilities until he sees his own limits to where that dividing line, that chasm of chaos that separates what's human from what's divine is very clear. It's a dangerous place. It's holy ground. We take our shoes off for fear. But we must travel for a call there. <coughs> if you're baptized, you have claim and call to go to the utter reaches of your own existence to become all that has been given to you as possible to become. This is the shamanistic principle. To go ahead and to experience all of life and its transitions, its developmental stage, 
it's turning points which are crises that we pray as transitions will become transformation. If we refuse to go to boundaries or even past broken boundaries to rescue souls, then we refuse to be Christian. If we refuse to enter another's death or to enter another's darkness, then we've set legal limits on where we will travel to search for the lost. It seems that baptism has called us to journey wherever necessary to establish and then preserve one's soul. Priests must be as courageous as the shaman. We have our symbols to take with us as we travel into the darkness, but most of us would rather shout pietistic platitudes into the darkness rather than enter it with another human being. Where are our sacraments, most particularly priesthood, if they aren't means of grace? Where darkness abounds, grace abounds more. A baptized person is empowered to enter darkness with a sure and certain hope to reappear, resurrected with the one who went before us in whom there is no darkness. The Savior is not one who shouts pietistic platitudes into the dark world. Savior is the one who enters the darkness. The Savior is not one who throws a rope into a hole in order to pull you out. The Savior is the one who enters the hole with you and sits patiently until you walk out together. So it is with those of us who minister in Christ's name. We must be willing to become human and to enter another's becoming unbecoming as it may appear. The cross allows us and empowers us to cross boundaries and limits. Joseph Campbell speaks of limits as demons. When they are conquered, our world becomes larger. Demons are symbols of our limits. The symbolic is that which allows us to participate in the creative reality that birthed the symbol. And the diabolic is the opposite. The function of the diabolic is to separate us from whatever is created. Sin is not only that which separates us, but sin is that which blocks God's creative activity. And sometimes the greatest sin is complacency and unawareness. Symbols are not just signs but they are power ingredients for life and growth. This is why we have the cross, water, bread, wine, oil, word, touch. They are shamanistic symbols. They are protection. They are the things that we surround ourselves with in order that we can enter darkness or sickness or death or hell if necessary. Evil loves to make idols out of symbols so that we worship the bread or wine or the book <coughs> or the priest or the church. A book, bread, wine, or priest can become an idol and therefore diabolical, for they seek to keep the power for themselves. For the priest, this is why becoming human is so important. If a human is to symbolize power for another, 
that person must be very aware of the power of the symbolic. Now maybe, just maybe, not everybody feels called to become a shaman for another, even though Baptist. Maybe, just maybe, it is a vocation of personality and gift, and it is not a generalized vocation. So perhaps as you sit there saying, I hate hospitals, or I really can't stand the pain of entering another's illness, or I'm so afraid to enter another's darkness because I so fear my own. Then I will let you off the hook that you're not called to be a shaman to another as if I had the power. But I won't let you off the hook of being a shaman for yourself. You must be willing to live your own life, all of its transition, all of its darkness, all of its sickness, and all of its death. You must be willing to live your own life, to enter your own lost soul in order to discover it for yourself. We must be willing to enter our own deep, dark journey to the soul. We must be willing to seek and define and extend our boundaries and limits. We must be willing to face our own demons. We must be willing to travel into our own sickness, into our own misfortune, into our own tragedy, trauma, and crisis in order to become fully human and holy. We must be willing to enter our own death before we can ever begin to live. Alan Jones, in his book Soul Making, incorporates Carlos Castaneda's journey to Ixlan as exemplary of how the priest shaman must enter death in order to live. <coughs> this is a quotation from Castaneda. <coughs> there the hunter was confronted by the fact of his own death. There the hunter was confronted by the fact that he too was being hunted. The incident started off easily enough. Don Juan, my shaman, insisted that I must stalk, catch, kill, skin, roast, and eat a rabbit. The experience was going to be easy. I had no difficulty catching a male rabbit in a trap. And then things began to fall apart because my shaman commanded me, now you must kill the rabbit. I put my hand in the trap, grasped the rabbit by its ears, and then terror suddenly seized me. I dropped the rabbit back into the trap, and I refused to kill it. The command to kill was reiterated by the shaman. A series of confusing thoughts and feelings overtook me as if the feelings had been there waiting for me. I felt with agonizing clarity that the rabbit's tragedy to have fallen into my trap was also my tragedy. In a matter of seconds, my mind swept across the most critical moments of my own life. For many times, I had been trapped 
Justice's rabbit. I looked at the rabbit, he looked at me. It had backed up against the side of the cage. We exchanged a somber glance. And that glance, which I fancied to be a part of silent despair, cemented a complete identification on my part with my victim. In trying to free the rabbit, Castaneda brought his right foot down on the corner of the rabbit's cage. In trying to free the rabbit, he stumbled and killed the animal. <coughs> the shaman put his hand on the pupil's head and whispered into his ear, the task is not complete. The rabbit had to be skinned, roasted, and eaten. He very patiently talked to me as if he were talking to a child. He said that the powers that guided men or animals had led that rabbit to me in the same way that those same powers would lead me to my own death. He said the rabbit's death had been a gift for me in exactly the same way that my death would be a gift to someone else. Don Juan said that I needed to eat some of the meat, if only a morsel, in order to validate my finding and to authenticate the death. I can't do that, I protested. He said, we are dregs in the hands of these forces. So stop your self-importance and use the gift properly. The priest shaman must enter his own death before he can begin to live. Jesus, our great rabbi, has taught us this. All of our fathers and mothers in our sacred story have had to take their own lives to their own limits. We see it in the face of Jacob at the Jabbok, Moses at the bush, Paul at Damascus. Each had to look death's angel in the face. Mary at Bethlehem, her son in the desert, knew the death of birth and the birth of death, and they lived until they died because they faced their death. I was at the death of my second son. Such a traumatic death I have never seen before or since. His life to that point had been paradisical. All of his needs were met. He was wed to his mother by her own system. By cord and sack he was in a garden with primordial waters. He died to his womb the day he was born. Bloody and beaten from his journey, he grieved his death as he grasped for breath. Seeking something more than he had had before, he broke his boundaries, broke the waters, extended his limits. He died to matrix time and was delivered into history. In his screaming grief over the loss of that paradisical life, he suddenly stopped, and his head turned quickly, for in the delivery room, he discovered the light. My son, after his death, was born into a new life, and he saw something he had never seen before, the light. He had never imagined that such a thing existed. 
for he was conceived in darkness and lived all of his life until his death in the dark. His death brought him into an unimaginable new life. He had never seen the light before he died. I was at the birth of my second son, and entering such, it changed my view of death. One cannot enter an extreme without discovering its opposite. Entering the death of another is entering the birth of another. And entering the birth of another is entering his or her death. The priest's child must be willing to see all of the sicknesses of our friends and ourselves in that way. That to refuse to enter the sickness the transition, the trauma, the crisis, the desert, the darkness, the emptiness, the refusal to enter that is to refuse to live life and be the most important increments of all that we've been given. To refuse that is to never live. And so why are we so afraid of life and death? For one leads us inevitably to the other. The priest shaman must enter all his own deaths. Death to womb at birth. Death to infancy at childhood. Death to childhood at adolescence. Death to adolescence at adulthood. Death to illusion at middle age. Death to family of origin. Death to family of choice. All of those we must enter until one enters one's own death. And we cannot live until we do. The shaman priest is born of water, fears no death, for he carries the symbols like a cruciform on his forehead into all transitions. The boundaries and barriers, when broken, create a larger world, sometimes a world that one never imagined existed. The brokenness, though, must be acknowledged in order for the transition to become a transformation. The old passes away before the new becomes. In order to become fully, holy, human, death is a necessity in all its forms. Every death is a crisis, every crisis is a transition, every transition is a transformation for those who are willing to experience life in faith. The shaman priest is called into humanity as a participant, not an observer. The priest's water death is a birth into time and eternity. Our fall is a fall upward into awareness. Our eyes are open to a new life that's never extinguished. All choices are gifts of freedom. And no choice, even if it leads to separation or death, no choice is ever unredeemable. Because the shaman priest is willing to travel with his symbols wherever he needs to go to find the lost soul, even his own. Human beings need the courage of the shaman. He goes wherever he needs to go to experience life's gifts and limits. We are baptized persons, and why are we not more like the shaman? Why are we contemporary Christians so afraid of life? Why do we rationalize, sanitize, philosophize, and theologize life rather than live it? Why do we have to be so perfect? Why were we afraid that we're not following the rule. The judgment of God may be more on a life unlived 
than on a life lived outside the rules. William Sloan Coffin, if you remember, says when we get to heaven, God won't have counted our mistakes, sins, and transgressions. When we arrive in heaven, he'll say, show me your slides. <laughs> and I agree. Can't you imagine God saying, what do you mean you were afraid? What do you mean you didn't enjoy life? I gave you shapes, colors, smells. What did you think the first time you saw the light? I gave you a body. I gave you a mind. And you were afraid of that? You didn't experience all that I gave you? My God. You missed the point. You missed life. Life. What's the point? The shaman is not afraid to experience life, including death. For the shaman knows the secret mystery that to live, one must die, and to die, one must live. The priest of shaman carries his own symbols with him, and the symbols represent Christ, who was not afraid to live, and not afraid to die. Jesus Christ represents the possibility for all things human existence. His life, death, and resurrection is the journey. He is our great high priest. We journey in his name, and our lives represent his claim. Whenever we act in his name, he is present. If we are Christian, he is present with us wherever we go. So why are we so afraid? The shaman is not afraid, nor should the baptized person priests alike. 